Praise be to your name, God, that we do not serve and worship a God who is dead. Nor do we serve and worship a God who is silent. For you are fully alive and you are speaking. As you have spoken. And by your grace, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. God, I thank you that there is no power stronger, there's no being greater, and there is no thing mightier than you. And we pray now as we turn our attention to your word that you would reveal your power to us as you are building a new people here. Share and show us what that means. In the name of Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, family, good morning. It is a joy to be with y'all. I uh, was driving in this morning thanking the Lord that prayers I prayed 10 years ago have come true in the last year. And I sometimes get a bit discouraged when I pray and it doesn't happen in the next 30 minutes. Um, but in so many ways, you are an answer to a decades-long prayer, and I give thanks to the Lord for that. I want to take a second to welcome those of you who are with us this morning who are guests uh, with us, both here in the room and those of you who are online. Um, I, uh, I think today's message is particularly uh, for many of you, but thank you so much for joining us and for spending some time here in our family with us this morning. And uh, I want to invite you now to take your copy of God's Word and meet me in Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue working through and walking through the book of Ephesians. We'll be beginning a new mini-series uh, this uh, morning uh, out of Ephesians chapter 3 entitled The Mystery Revealed. And so um, as you turn there, a couple of uh, quick things. Uh, last week, the elders, uh, myself and several other elders, got to attend the commencement for Regen, and uh, it, it blew us all away. Uh, there was such a display of God's transforming power through his word and there were people who had been bound and had been burdened and imprisoned by sin and habits and hurt who stood up and gave testimony of the ways in which God in Christ is freeing and redeeming them from that. And, and what I told them last week, what I want to tell you today is that region is evidence within our church that Satan is losing ground and that Christ is victorious. And so when he's got someone locked into a prison of hurt and pain, and then for them to be broken out of that, it is a cause for us giving celebration and glory to God. And so um, I don't know where you are, and I know that every last one of us is thoroughly jacked up in ways that we are only beginning to realize. Um, but maybe you've tried a couple different things and it just hadn't worked. I want to encourage you to consider Regen. And Regen's not just for the most broken among us. Uh, though for, to make such delineations, I think, shows us a bit of an air of superiority, right? I, I do believe that we all are at some point uh, in desperate need of God's grace. And so whether you wrestle and struggle with pride or fear of man, 
Whether you've got uh, a struggle with a sex addiction or pornography, all are welcome to come together and to allow the light of Christ to shine on those places. We've watched people walk in freedom. And if you're wanting to walk in freedom on February the 23rd, a new uh, group starts here. And it's on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, there is no childcare and space is limited. And so if, if this is something that you want to <clears throat> run through and something that you want to be a part of, um, I would encourage you to go to fellowshiproswell.org backslash care and check out our care ministry to sign up there. We'll let you know it is eight to nine months. Uh, so it's a long time. So you can't, and it's not one of them things where you can just like show up and wing it or like start all the work like three hours before, right? This, this, it, it's, it's not like that sociology class in college. Um, th- this is really deep, intense heart work. It's, gonna, it's costly. Um, but I find that the most costly things often in life are those things most worth having. So I want to commend that to you. To our guests who are here this morning, one of the things that we like to do to make you feel welcome is have a, we have a time for meet and greet. And so immediately after this service in room 110, directly behind me, we'd love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, have you come and meet me and some of our elders and staff. Uh, we'll be right around the corner. So if you exit the room and take the hallways all the way around back, you'll run into us. And uh, just, a, just a word of, and really, uh, I just want to brag on God for a minute. Um, Two weeks ago, I, we talked about financial stewardship, and I, we were talking about how we as a church were behind on budget by 3%. Um, and man, I just want to brag on God and tell you that we are no longer behind on budget um, because, because so many of you stepped up, and so many of you stepped up in ways that blew our mind. I am in Pastor Monty's office a couple of weeks ago, weeping at the goodness of God and for a young pastor to be a part of watching God's people respond to God's call. It's a blessing to my soul. And I can't wait to continue to tell stories of how your dollars go to life transformation. Finally, before we hop into the text, this month is Black History Month. And part of why I love Black History Month is because it's a time for me to remember that Christianity didn't begin when Martin Luther nailed those theses to the doors of Wittenberg in, 15, uh, in the 1500s. It actually began long before that in North Africa in the Middle East. And one of my favorite theologians of all time is a man named Athanasius. And Athanasius, who lived uh, between about 317 and 363 AD, he was the bishop of Alexandria. He was born and raised in that Kush, South Egypt area, and then was uh, born, or excuse me, kind of came to faith and began to be the bishop of Alexandria. Here's why Athanasius is important. If If you've ever heard of the Trinity, if you've ever heard the Latin or the Greek phrase, rather, homoousios, if you've ever considered the ways in which the Father and the Son relate to each other, if you've ever recited the Apostles' Creed, and if you've ever thought about why Christianity was a part in really the sanctioned religion of the Roman Empire, you have Athanasius in part to thank for that. His thinking and his thoughts around the person and work of the Trinity form the basis for our Trinitarian thought today and Many history, uh, many historians refer to Athanasius as the black dwarf. Um, he was a little wee man, kind of like Zacchaeus with dark skin uh, from, from Africa. And so to think about the ways that Africa has shaped Christianity, even here in the West, is part of what I want to continue to do throughout the month of February as we continue to become one new man 
here. Okay, without further ado, Ephesians chapter 3, and it would be helpful if I actually got there in my own Bible. When you get to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, give me a oh yeah. If you need a minute, say hold up, brother. All right, just one second. I love you, man. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 reads, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. That prepositional phrase is important. In Christ Jesus through, that one's important too, through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And before considering it, we should pray. So let's pray. God, would you bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of your word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask. Amen. Amen. As children, there were two relegations that we earnestly desired to be promoted from. At every family function, whether it be a family reunion, whether it be a 4th of July barbecue, and particularly Thanksgiving, there were two relegations we earnestly desired to be promoted from. The first relegation was the spades table. Now, I don't know about you, but in my house, spades is a contact sport. (laughs) Some of you had a similar interaction around the game spoons. I didn't know that spoons was a game until I had white friends. (laughs) I've seen the scars. I know spoons gets intense. Others of you have had similar sport around the game Uno. Uh-huh. Bid with. But for us, it was the space table, and you could not simply step up to the space table just because you wanted to play. You had to step to that table only when you were an adult. Children were not allowed at that table. Grown women and men only at that table. The first relegation was spades. The second relegation was that often curious alternate dimension at Thanksgiving called the kitty table. <laughs> and, and you would be relegated to the kitty table, hanging out with your cousins per se, but always peering into that better land, <laughs> wondering what they're talking about. Wondering what the adult conversation is like. Desiring to be but a fly on the wall. And if you get too close to that adult table, 
Well, if you were in my house, you might get smacked or politely told, go back and mind your business. I was accused of ear hustling quite a few times, just wanting <laughs> to be there. You see, the kitty table was a place where you would go because you didn't quite fit in to the adult table. But there came a point at which you would graduate and you would find a place where you would belong. I wonder if a similar attitude exists within the church at large and our church here. Are there those who feel that they've been relegated to the kiddie table? Do you feel like you belong here? Do you fit? Perhaps you walk into this building and immediately you walk in and it doesn't feel like home. Your home culture or ethnicity collides with the culture of our church. Maybe even your ethnicity or gender make you feel hyper-visible and also invisible. And just perhaps the way you dress is very different from how most people dress. And all of these ingredients create a concoction where you yourself do not feel like you belong. And so if that's you, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, for the next 25 minutes, I want to preach to you. Because I believe that's what exactly what Paul's doing here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is he's preaching to people who both feel like they don't belong and who've been treated as if they don't. I want to look around and preach specifically this morning to people who move through the world in a different way, for people who move through our church in a different way, those who feel like outsiders to the party. Perhaps you've been here and you feel like you're at the kiddie table. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't feel like you belong at any church. The hurt and pain that you've experienced is so deep. Maybe you've been disappointed by Christians for so long, you're just like, man, I don't even know why I showed up or tuned in this morning. And no matter where you go, you feel like you don't belong. Well, this morning, I have one clear, resounding message for you, and it is as follows. You belong here because Jesus wants you here. That's my first point this morning. You belong here because Jesus wants you here. Paul opens up Ephesians 3, and he says, for this reason... That phrase points back to what he's previously told us specifically in the last two chapters. There is the vertical reconciliation with God that has been accomplished for us because of Christ Jesus and the horizontal reconciliation that is the product of that work. And at the very end of chapter two, if you look in verse 19, you see that Paul is speaking of the church growing Together, he says, for you are fellow heirs and citizens together growing up into a holy temple to the Lord. Paul is like this building that's being grow, that's, that's growing, this structure that's being built up is both a construction and it's organic. And the contents of this dwelling is God himself. 
I don't know who needs to hear this, but God doesn't make junk, nor does he dwell in it. That the very dwelling place of God is wholly unique. And the treasure with which it holds is something unlike the world has ever seen. So when we get to chapter three, it's as if in this church, Paul has taken all the Gentiles aside. He's like, hey, y'all come on over here. So he takes them aside and he says, hey, I want to whisper to y'all. And he's speaking to the Gentiles, but all the Jews can hear what he's saying. In like fashion, I want to take everybody who feels like they don't belong, and I want to huddle all y'all over here and be like, hey, let me talk to y'all for a minute. For those of you who do feel at home here, I've got a word for you here in just a moment. Hang tight. But for now, I want to preach to those. He wants them to know that they are full citizens, full heirs. They're a household of God. They're a family. And the question remains, who's the crazy uncle? Because we all got that uncle who show up at these family functions and he talked crazy. He saw stuff a little bit. And it's like, hey, uncle, you might need to go chill out. Here's some coffee. <laughs> Paul says, for this reason, because of the person and work of Christ and because of what he's building in his church, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek there is really interesting. I, I, would, have had, I would have expected to read the word doulos, which points to bond servant, but Paul uses the word desmios, which means prisoner. So there's a, double, there's a double entendre here. He's both saying, one, that he's in prison. He's likely dictating this letter and having it uh, shared through the churches in Ephesus, and that he himself is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for what sake? on behalf of the Gentiles. Now this is interesting. So he's a prisoner of Jesus for the Gentiles. Being in prison actually authenticates Paul's message. In other words, Paul says that my very imprisonment because of the gospel I so desperately believe in is evidence and an evangelistic tool to reach you. I'm in prison for you Gentiles. And he speaks of this revelation. Do you remember Paul? He's on this Damascus road and Jesus comes and he bright light shining. Paul, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he's persecuting Jesus and his church. And there's a revelation of the mystery of what Christ is. He didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. And all of a sudden the curtain is peeled back. My brother and I would play hide and seek in our house growing up. And one of my favorite places to hide was behind the sashes, behind the curtains, right? And like I would go and I'd run through the house. Like he counting, you know, he count to a hundred. All right, one, two, skip a few, 99, 100. Okay, let's go. So we take off running through the house and we get to my parents' room and I, I throw the sash around my, around my body and I'm hiding there. Oh, he don't see me. And he walking in, he can't see. He walking in, he can't see. And the bathroom is over here. So as soon as he go into the bathroom, I'm like, ah! And so he's like, ah! And then we like, you know, we have a whole, uh, you know, good time and we're laughing. But there was a mystery surrounding where I was until the curtain was pulled back. In a similar way, Paul is about to become the Adam Schefter or the Shams in dropping new information here that no one has ever seen or heard before. But there's a tension here in the text. Because how can Paul say that this mystery has never been revealed before this moment? When Old Testament and Jewish literature is full of prophecy foretelling of when Gentiles will worship alongside Jews. 
Even in Matthew 21 and in Mark 11, when Jesus goes to the Temple Mount and flips the tables, y'all know that? He goes and he flips the table and he fashions a whip uh, out of cords and he's running people out of there and he says that you have, the, the house of prayer has become a den of thieves. One of the reasons that he throws everyone out of the temple is because Gentiles were not allowed to worship alongside Jews. You see, the Jews could go into the temple and into worship, but there was a barrier around the outside of the temple mount called a serek, literally a dividing wall where on that wall hung a sign that said, Gentiles, if you cross this point, you will pay with your life. There's an adult table and there's a kiddie table. There are those who belong and then there are those who are on the outside looking in. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, not so. My people must worship together. Even Jesus is moving his people to seeing where Jew and Gentile worship alongside. However, the mystery that's being revealed here is that Gentiles don't just share the same space. They share the same blood. They're not just in an integrated space. They're now part of the same family. They have the same Last name. So for those of you who are here, and maybe you feel like you don't belong, here's a second point to you this morning. You belong here as a full sibling. You belong here as a full sibling. Whether you've been here for three weeks, whether you've been here for nine months, or maybe you've come in the last couple of years and you don't feel at home, let me just tell you that you are a full sibling. Think about this. Damascus Road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus strikes him blind. Paul's walking around, goes to Cornelius' house, gets his sight back. And then for the next three years, Paul disappears. For the next three years, Paul is gone. He's out in the wilderness. Now, Paul's not just out in the wilderness like, wow, what happened to me? That was crazy. Oh, man, that's it. Wow, yeah, that's, whoo, yeah, that was wild. And he's not just absentmindedly working, but I imagine that in every aspect of his life, he's thinking about something that he told, that Jesus told him that he never knew before. There was something that he saw that captivated, I believe, his attention for three years. That every time he hit and was fashioning a peg, he's thinking about it. Every time he's sewing velum and canvas together, he's thinking about it. Every time he's pounding the hammer, he's thinking about it. Braiding twine and rope, he's thinking about it. Staring at the stars at night, he's thinking about it. And what I think he's thinking about are two things. One, that the supremacy of Christ Jesus is at a level that he never considered. And secondly, that Gentiles are not just simply sharing space, but are full siblings with me. If you'd grown up as a Jewish person, you might tolerate a Gentile in your near vicinity or maybe even your space, but there was the idea that I am a Jew, I am God's chosen people. And yes, at some point, Jews will worship alongside Gentiles, but there was always the idea that we're going to be divided, never that we're going to be sharing a bed together. The fact that Jew and Gentile are equal is exactly what Paul gives his life to. He says, when you read this, you can perceive the insight into the mystery that was given to me for you. And what exactly did he give his life up for? 
He gave his life so that Gentiles might be sure of three promises that Jesus gives us in verse 6. The first is that they are entitled to an inheritance. They're entitled to an inheritance. Gentiles get all the loot. You, if you're here and maybe you don't feel like you belong, you get all of the loot. And what is the loot? What is the inheritance? It is a glorious existence within a renewed creation as God's adopted and beloved children. In other words, this life is as bad as it's ever going to get. It's only ever going to get better. Life with God in Christ is our inheritance. Second, there's ownership of the body. Ownership of the body. In verse 6, he says, your fellow heirs, your members of the same body. Now, last week, Pastor Chris gave us the picture. Not, it would be awful if we were all feet, right? We would be real funky too if that was the case. But when it comes to the body, ownership within the body, I want you to know, as long as I'm the pastor here, and Jesus is going to have to call me home because I ain't leaving voluntarily. There will be no kitty table here. Whether you've been here for three weeks or 42 years, we are equal. Every man, woman, and child, we are equal. There is no kitty table here. We are not building multiple tables to sit under one roof, nor should we continue to invite people to pull up chairs around an already crowded table. Baby, we're going to chop that table in half and keep adding to it. We're extending our table so everyone has a seat. We have no kitty table. This is your church. If you've been here and you're a member here, you're a longtime attender, you just got here, I want you to know that because of what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, you have ownership here. This is your family and you belong here. And the third, the third, the third benefit of, uh, uh, of what it means for Gentiles to be a part of this family is that they are the fruit of God's favor. They are the fruit of God's favor. Jesus or Paul says that we're fellow heirs, members of the same body, and that we have the promises in Christ Jesus. And we are partakers of those promises. What is the promise? The promise here is the promise that God gave Abraham way back in the day. And in that promise, God provided four primary things to Abraham. Presence, protection, provision, and land. God's presence is the reality that God is with us. God's protection is the reality that God fights for us. God's provision is the reality that God cares for us. And land is the reality that Christ is our home. And the fruit of that promise is to be lived out here. Now, let me say this, side note, I don't have time to preach this sermon. There should be no place on this earth that you or I ever feel fully comfortable outside of the presence of God. For only there are we home, and only there are we our most true self, and only there are we ever fully loved. I ain't got time to preach that. But Paul essentially says, Gentiles, you, full siblings, full members, share last name, you share blood. We're in this thing together. 
And as I'm reading this, I can't help but to think, who are the people that I think are sitting at the kiddie table? Who are the people that I think are the ones who aren't full members and partakers of God's promises? I often think about Muslim and Hindu and atheist and agnostic friends who are potentially siblings who are on the outside looking in, but because they think differently from us, we leave them alone or we don't share with them or perhaps we're just not real human beings. When all the while, if anyone has a heartbeat, their story is not over. And if anyone is living and breathing, their story is not over. I even think about those who don't share the same theological convictions as me. In my mind, do I think, yeah, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like James, Peter, and John, and I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of Jesus. Where are you going to be sitting? At the kiddie table. All who put faith in Jesus are our siblings, whether they like us or not. But Paul is getting ready to tell us the force by which all of this is possible. And he's about to give us the means by which we belong, namely the gospel. Third and finally, friend who don't feel like you belong, hear me. You belong here because the gospel is sufficient. The entire point of Jesus' coming was to create one new man, one new humanity. It was to create not a better version of man. Uh-uh, that version needed to die in a grave for three days and be risen again, that we, by faith, might be raised in the image and the likeness of Jesus. And the only way that happens is through the gospel. This mystery is revealed through the gospel. This inheritance, this sibling nature, the promises and the blessing of Abraham, the gospel is the force by which all of these promises come to rest on us. Now, that's really good and that sounds great, but what is the gospel? Briefly, here's the gospel. The gospel is the whole good news of all that God has done and is doing through Jesus Christ. It is the whole good news of all God is doing through Jesus Christ and it includes three realms, king, kingdom, and cross. There are a lot of people who want to take the gospel and shrink it to just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus in my prayer closet. It ain't nobody else. It's just me and Jesus, and that's all that matters. Are you a part of God's gospel? Yes. And others want to take the gospel, and they want to make it all about the kingdom. It is all about the kingdom, 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 and yet you lose what God is doing in the person and work of Christ. Uh, it is not an either or, it's a both and. We have a gospel message, which is the good news announcement that we have a king, a king who is coming to bring a kingdom. And in this kingdom, there is no lack. There is only shalom. And the entrance into this kingdom is through a bloody cross, whereby faith in the risen Lord, we get entrance to the kingdom and access to the king. Are y'all smelling what I'm stepping in? And Paul says that all of these things, all of the promises are in Christ and through the gospel so that the gospel is God's story and his activity before time for Christ Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. It was God's story through time of everything that he's done from Genesis to Revelation. And the gospel is the good news of all that God will do after time ceases to exist in the eschaton when we live forever with him. The gospel message is shallow enough for a child to wade into, and it's deeper than the Marianas Trench. On one hand, the gospel is A, B, C, 
It's easy as one, two, three, right? And it's as complicated as the human brain, which scientists will tell you is the most complicated thing on the face of the earth. Here's my point. My point is that if we want to swim in these waters, friends, we need to get ready to sink so that Christ might resurrect us out of the waters of judgment to understand that the gospel is life. And only through this message do we get this. This is why you belong here. You belong here because the gospel is the power for you belong. I know you've been hurt and I know you've had bad experiences. I I know it's been hard. I know you can't find friends and get connected. You have not found your people. But friends, let me just tell you the power for that to be possible is here through the gospel. And when you say yes to Jesus, this church says yes to you. And when you say yes to Jesus, we add to our table. And when you say yes to Jesus, you increase our joy. And when you say yes to Jesus, we get stronger. You belong here the same way that I belong here. And let me give you a secret. I'm still learning to believe that I belong here. Now, I want to talk to those of you who found your home here. When you believe that this place is where you belong, this is your family. You've given your lives here. You have raised babies here. You have seen this church. You prayed for her that this place is yours. People in, your, in this church have walked with you through hell and back. They've been a part of the most difficult times of your life, and they've not left you. You found community and family here that has strengthened and encouraged you for 15 and 17 and 20 years. I want to talk to those of you who feel like you belong here, and yet over the last year and a half, you've wondered, do I still belong here? Is there still a place for me here? Or is this very place that I love changing so rapidly before my own eyes? I want to finish this morning by telling you the following. Hear this, friend. You belong here because Jesus wants you here. Do you hear me? You belong here because Jesus wants you here. This is your family This is your home. You belong here. I think about the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew 20 when the owner of the vineyard goes out and he finds workers in the beginning of the day and he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a denarius to come work in my vineyard. They're like, cool. So they go to work and the owner master goes back out in the sixth hour and he he finds more workers and he says, I'm going to give you a denarius. And he does the same thing in the ninth hour and the 11th hour. So the 11th hour guy shows up to work works for an hour and gets a whole day's wage. And the folks that's been there since early in the morning were like, where they do that at? What's happening? He just got here. And Jesus, speaking on behalf of the vineyard owner, says, it matters not when you came, it only matters that you came. There is a love that is here in this church and a rich history in this church that I want to invite my friends into. You've been here for a long time and you've given your life here. Praise be to God. You belong here. And there are brothers and sisters coming in who are looking at all of this, trying to make sense of it. And the message that we need to send is that you belong here. Now it's about to get real uncomfortable. We're about to do what's called a black church exercise. (laughs) I want you to touch your neighbor, give them a dap and tell them that you belong here. 
Now I want you to turn to the other neighbor, dap him up, and I want you to tell him that you belong here. Because when I think about belonging, my mind wanders to Rahab the prostitute when she hides Joshua and them boys from the authorities. Upon after her work, she finds a home in Israel. I wonder if somebody might say this morning, you belong here. Somebody say, you belong here. And then my mind immediately goes to Ruth the Moabite, a Moabite, not an Israelite, a Moabite. She was an immigrant who experienced more suffering than even Job himself. But all it took was the right look from the right man in the right place at the right time for her to go from immigrant to citizen. Somebody say, you belong here. And then I think about Mephibosheth. He, He was the son of Jonathan, David's best friend who upon fleeing, his nanny drops him, he becomes crippled in his feet, physically disabled, he's without a father, and King David calls him and wants him to know that he will always have a seat at the table. I wish somebody would help me and say, you belong here. And on that dark Good Friday, Jesus himself hung on that cross between two thieves. One of them cursed him all night long. And the other began the night cursing him and then halfway through began to see, oh wait, no, this guy's different. And I'm reminded of Alistair Begg's word when he's thinking about this man, this thief on the cross getting to heaven and the angels asking him, well, why are you here? To which the thief on the cross responds, Ah, and they say, well, do you know the doctrine of justification by faith alone and grace alone in Christ alone? And he's like, I ain't never heard of it. And then they say, well, have you been to Bible study? And he says, what's a Bible? Well, well, have you had a history of going across seas and to sharing the gospel to various people? And he says, I've never left Jerusalem. Upon which they ask him again, why are you here? And his reply is the man on the middle cross said that I could come. His place was in the kingdom because the man on the middle cross said that he could come. Baby, I don't know what brought you here, but I need you to know that you belong here. Maybe you ain't felt like you belong here. Maybe you ain't felt like we want you here. I just need you to know that you belong here. And if this is home for you and has been for some time, you belong here. Beloved, the cross has spoken. We are family and we will live up to those heavenly ideals. This is your home. And as long as I'm here, Every man, woman, and child will know that you belong here. So here's what we're going to do. Another exercise. I need everybody to stand up because here's what we need to do. Right now, what we need is we need to remind one another of the truth that you belong here. So here's what we're going to do. This morning, we ain't going to sing no song. It ain't going to be no benediction. I want you to find somebody in this room that you don't know. And I want you to dap them up and I want you to tell them that you belong here. Go in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be with you forever and always. Amen.